0: Your podcast starts after this quick message from Clear. The average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for allergens and germs to get in your nose and body and wreak havoc. That is, unless you regularly clean your nose and sinuses. So for healthy breathing and a strong body, use Clear nasal spray. Clear is a natural nasal spray featuring xylitol, an ingredient clinically proven to work against bacteria and effectively clean not just rinse your nose. Clear nasal spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. In fact, in a recent study, researchers found that xylitol nasal sprays like Clear are just as effective as leading medicated nasal sprays. For better breathing, get Clear today. That's spelled X-L-E-A-R. You can find it at all major retailers, CVS, Rite Aid, Walgreens, Sprouts, Whole Foods, and everywhere else. The Dr. Taz Show.
1: The podcast Dr. Taz. Superwoman Wellness. Here's Dr. Taz. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to this episode of Superwoman Wellness, where you know I'm determined to bring you back to your superpowered self. And joining me today is a special guest who is going to answer some questions that many of you have been asking me. I have Dr. David Adamson with me, he's the medical director of Equal 3 Fertility a clinical professor at Stanford University and an associate clinical professor at the University of California in San Francisco. He's past president of ASRM, SART, I'll let him tell you what all those acronyms are for, and the Committee on Reproductive Medicine, and is founder, chairman, and chief executive officer of Advanced Reproductive Care, the largest United States network fertility company. Welcome to the show, Dr. Adamson.
2: Thank you very much for having me, Dr. Taz. It's nice to be here.
1: I am excited to have you for a very simple reason, A, to get your expertise, of course, but also I think women are really scared right now. I have been taking all kinds of calls from, uh, you know, my reproductive endocrinologist canceled my IVF cycle, to should I get pregnant right now? Or I am pregnant. What does that mean about for my prenatal visits? So what? tell us a little bit about what's happening to this field of trying to get people pregnant, trying to help them with creating their families and bringing them that happiness and COVID-19 and pandemic and shutdowns and all that other stuff. Give us a sense of, of what you're seeing and maybe the logic and the reasoning behind it.
2: Great, well, there's a there's a lot of questions there. and. Uh, I think the first thing to say is that um, there's still a lot we don't know uh, about this virus, and uh, it's a whole new world for everybody, uh, whether it's about their home and family life, or their work life, or their medical care life. So, you know, it's it's a very uncharted area that we're in for everybody. Um, that said, I think the, there is some good news out there, and I'll give some general comments and be really happy to answer in more detail, but. You know, Generally speaking, um, if a woman is uh, pregnant right now, uh, she can be reasonably comfortable that the pregnancy is probably going to do okay, and she'll be fine, and, uh, and she should be hopeful about that. At the same time, uh, there's a lot we don't know about the impact of this virus on pregnancy. I'd say the most important thing that a woman can do if she's pregnant right now is to try to avoid the mm-hmm. virus. Uh, because even though we don't think uh, the virus crosses the placenta to directly harm the baby, uh, there's not much question that if a woman gets sick with this virus during pregnancy and she's really, really sick, that this can have uh, untoward consequences for her, of course, uh, but also for the baby and may result in early delivery, premature Mm -hmm. delivery, or other complications of pregnancy. Any woman who has a really serious illness uh, is going to have uh, potential complications to her pregnancy. So it's important not not to get sick if you're pregnant. And, and then I'd say communicate a lot with your doctors. That's just a general comment about the people who are pregnant. I think they should be comfortable, but they need to be really, really careful to do all the things we know about uh, to self-protect, uh, to avoid getting the coronavirus.
1: Wow. So, I mean, I know that's important. And, you know, pregnant for everyone that's pregnant out there right now, I think taking those precautions that you've heard a lot of us talk about over and over again from hand washing, hand hygiene, social distancing. I'm advocating wearing masks. I think it's just a layer of protection for sure. Uh, So and then even making sure from a nutrient antioxidant standpoint, gut health, all those markers of sort of your immune system are, are where they need to be. But some women are getting really concerned. You know, they pay a lot of money. There's a lot of emotion tied up in their IVF or IUI cycles or, you know, their reproductive cycles, but then they're canceled. Tell us the logic in canceling some of these procedures, you know, in this pandemic, and what that means for them, you know, down the road or after the fact.
2: Right. You know, it's uh, it's it's very interesting what's happened, and uh, you know, there are always some silver linings that come out of these uh, these types of situations. Uh, it's been uh, very difficult for people with infertility because infertility is a disease. It can be a major life crisis affecting people. Uh, Biologically, emotionally, uh, you know, psychologically, and certainly financially. So um, it's it's a very very challenging situation to be in to start with, and then when you layer on top of this, you know, the COVID nineteen and all the issues just happened and affected everybody. Uh, that that makes it really really difficult, and then all of a sudden, their their fertility treatment gets stopped as well, and. Uh, this is just, you know, really an extremely difficult situation for most people who are, you know, struggling with getting pregnant when they want to get pregnant. Uh, that said, there were some pretty good reasons why the ASRM stands for the American Society for Reproductive Medicine. It is, uh, you know, the absolutely number one reproductive medicine society in the country, it consists of you know seven or eight thousand uh, professionals, physicians, scientists, embryologists, nurses, et cetera, psychologists, mental health work workers. so it's it's it is the organization uh, for uh, for reproductive medicine. They have some very, very bright and committed um, and uh, altruistic people who commit who participated on a task force that ASRM set up right away. And this task force looked at the issue of what should we do? I mean, just as everybody else was trying to decide what to do, they looked at this and they came up with recommendations that would be uh, really over, you know, six, seven weeks ago now, uh, you know, almost not quite a couple of months ago, uh, but a couple of months ago that said that all fertility treatments should stop except for real emergency ones, meaning women who had to go for chemotherapy for cancer and needed to freeze their eggs and situations like that, but that they also said that people who were in the middle of treatment could continue their treatment and finish it, which would usually involve, you know, another week or two weeks of treatment. They also recommended freezing all the embryos and IVF cycles then, so as not to put them back now and create a pregnancy Mm -hmm. now. And there were good reasons for doing this. I mean, the first reason was that nobody really knew what was right. happening, and we were going into uncharted waters. The second reason was there was legitimate concern about the possibility for women who were undergoing treatment to get sick themselves, to get COVID if they were coming to doctor, doctor's offices and other patients were there. And so there's concern about the patients getting sick with coronavirus, about staff getting sick with coronavirus. And as you know, there was huge concern. About whether we'd have enough PPE right. and whether we'd have enough medical facilities, whether we'd have enough doctors to deal with this, you know, impending surge, which in in many ways didn't really occur except in a few areas. Certainly, it did right. in New York, but in other areas, probably probably it was it was put off because people did do social distancing and hand washing, whatever. And there were, of course, uh, also concerns that if a woman did get pregnant now. What impact would that have on the baby and early pregnancy, which, which we can talk about? But, but nobody really knew. So there was a concern we could get a woman pregnant and then she could be, have the pregnancy she really wanted, but the virus could, could harm the baby, damage the baby in utero. And of course, on top of that, uh, there was really a societal sort of ethical issue. Um, if all sorts of people are not having other surgeries done, they're isolating at home, people are losing their jobs you know, there, there was a lot of suffering and harm going around our society, and there still is today, of course. But it seemed that even though this was a real burden for infertility patients, it was sort of part of, you know, social justice or, you know, equal mm-hmm. uh, participation in trying to manage this to, to reduce the spread of this. So there were a lot of reasons they chose, and I think, um, I think they were good reasons. I think they made the right choices. Obviously, that doesn't mean it was right. difficult because it was very, very difficult. Yeah, I know. Me, but it's changed now. The good news is it's changed.
1: So I was about to ask you that. I know, I know I've know. i had many patients who are upset about it or stressed about it. Um, things are easing up now, correct? And things are yes. resuming when it comes to them. So I'm curious. I mean, you know, one of the things, because I see a lot of infertility in my practice as well, which is a integrative practice, and we work with, you know, local uh, reproductive endocrinologists, you know, what, in your opinion, are some reasons women have been having so many issues with infertility? I feel like it's a little bit of an epidemic to a certain extent. And what are you guys advising when it comes to getting ready for pregnancy or even getting ready for infertility treatments?
2: Right. Um, You know, uh, I know, Dr. Taz, you're really committed to wellness, a holistic approach. So I'd like to take a really holistic approach to your question. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. And, and that holistic approach is that I think all women and men, you know, by the time they hit university or so, just as they're thinking about where they want to go to university, what kinds of courses they want to take, where they want to work, uh, you know, what kind of jobs they would like, uh, type of, uh, you know, people they'd like to have relationships with, and what have you. In other words, they're planning their lives. It's really important to start planning your reproductive life. When you're 20 or 21 or 22, that doesn't mean that you're going to have a baby next year. It means that you get the information, get the facts and realize I won't be able to have a baby forever. And there's optimal times biologically to have children. And these, of course, times can conflict often with education or work or what have you. So it's not that you have to make decisions at that point. Like I'm going to have a baby at 28 or 34. It's not that. But you want to start integrating, thinking about your reproductive life into the other parts of your life, your economic life, your geographic life, your relationship life, your social life. You know, what are the things that matter to you? And do you want kids at all or not? Maybe you don't. That's OK. And in what type of situation? So I would encourage people to do that. Secondly, as they go through the their early parts of reproductive life, let's just say the 20s, it's really, really important to manage your health, which... I know you'll really, really agree with that. (laughs) Yeah. And it's it's important for everybody. But it's especially important when you're young for a couple of reasons. One, if you develop good habits in your 20s, it'll be a whole lot easier to keep those and to break all your bad habits when you're 40. Right. So start with good habits when you're younger. The second thing is that reproduction is a major life activity. In fact, one could easily argue that for any life form, it is the most important life activity and as mm-hmm. a result reproduction takes a lot of an individual's resources it takes time it takes money but it takes an emotional toll and it takes a physical toll it takes energy to reproduce so it's really important to uh, practice good health habits you know the diet exercise sleep some mind body work with meditation all the you know the good things we know really really matter for living a healthy life And so these habits, if developed in the 20s and early 30s, will really prepare a woman and a man for Mm -hmm. for having that baby together for the pregnancy and then looking after the baby. So diet, exercise, sleep, which is very underslept country, so sleep is something people often ignore, uh, are Mm -hmm. really important. Uh, Obviously, you know, a good uh, appropriate uh, multivitamin uh, supplement is good. Uh, People want to not be smoking, obviously. Um, It would seem that a little bit of alcohol is okay, uh, that I'm not promoting alcohol, but I'm not telling everybody they have to become teetotalers either. Mm -hmm. Uh, A little bit of alcohol is okay, but obviously when women are pregnant, not to have any alcohol. Smoking is universally bad uh, for people and for babies especially. And uh, social drugs uh, are not helpful at all and can be very, very harmful. And without putting too fine a point on it, say sex matters because yeah. if a woman gets uh, infections uh, when she's younger, then she can she can end up with infertility from you know adhesions or whatever. And the, the other issue is to see your doctor, get a good healthcare doctor, primary care doctor, an internist, integrative doctor, gynecologist, somebody you can see over time who knows about you, uh, and you can take your health problems to them and. And get them treated early. You know, I'm one of my big areas is endometriosis. So if you're having pelvic Mm -hmm. pain, it's not normal, go see your doctor. So start taking care of yourself when you're younger, develop those good habits. And when the time comes to have a, a baby, you'll be in a much, much better place to have a baby.
1: I think those are all such important points. I mean, oftentimes people come to my office, you know, and they're already deep into a particular issue. And so it's a lot of rewinding and unwinding and the patience of time is not there or there isn't time. You know, one thing I've noticed, so it's really hard. And I think we've both been in that situation when I was in my early twenties. It took crashing to really get me to be serious about my health. And I was in med school and residency and all these other things. And I didn't really, it didn't really click for me that I needed to worry about my own health until about 28. And that was because cosmetically I was going downhill. It's so sad. It wasn't like the joint pain or any of the other things. It was the fact that I was losing hair and having acne. So how do we drive that message home to these younger folks? And is there you know, a lot of times I'm like, is there a test? I can say every 20 year old needs to do this test and have a way to measure like where their health is. Like these are the three things you should always check. And I know I have my ideas, but from a fertility standpoint, is there something, because that's a message I think women would resonate with because, and men, because I think at some point people, you know, do want to have a family. And if they understood like the connection, like, hey, adopt these behaviors, it'll affect these numbers, and that will impact uh, your ability to have a family down the road. I don't know if there's something you've seen, you know, in your experience that that we could latch on to and get that message to them a little bit better.
2: Well, I think that uh, the the message that, you know, you're delivering, and I'm trying to deliver here, is that your health really matters. And uh, Mm -hmm. we both know, and I, I certainly know, maybe you don't know it yet because it's based on age but you know basically you can you can do anything to your body you want till about 40 and your body takes care of you but I'm clearly over 40 and once you hit about 40 or so the body starts taking back and if you haven't been looking after yourself it's you start to pay a price for it Where, whereas up yeah. till then you know generally speaking uh, you can pretty well get away with with a lot of things and your, your body sort of you know deals with it but as you get older this gets tougher so I think the real message is take care of yourself. I mean, take care mm-hmm. of yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, you know, spiritually. What what works for you? Um, but I do think it's really important also to your specifically to your question to get uh, a doctor you're comfortable with, and I don't think it matters if it's a you know general practitioner, primary care doctor, an internist, integrative doctor, a gynecologist, obstetrician gynecologist, but a primary care doctor gets to know you as a person, and you can tell them when you're not feeling well. And of course, there will be some specific blood tests, even in your 20s, that you know, you'll know you generally want to get every once in a while. You don't need them every year like you might need when you're 60, but you're going to need them you know, once in a while when you're younger. And really importantly, if you're paying attention to your body and what symptoms you have, and you go to your doctor and mention those, they'll be able to help decide what kinds of tests. So in general you know, to to specific aspect of your question, you know, obviously general hematology and biochemistry tests is necessary, but really based on your health and, you know, what other tests might be indicated, you might have thyroid problems or in in our field, you know, acne problems, if you're getting uh, 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 thyroid or uh, prolactin problems, if you're getting acne, you'd consider androgen tests, of course, looking into that. And it's important if a woman starts having uh, really irregular cycles. Maybe she's got polycystic ovarian syndrome. If she doesn't have periods for a long time, she could have, you know, hypo, hypo, or hypothalamic pituitary amenorrhea or some other problem. We all know if she's too heavy or too light, you know. Uh, anorexia or obesity are really not good and menstrual periods won't be regular so if a woman's not having regular menstrual periods that's a real sign of health right overall health because to have regular periods a lot of things have to work properly so if a woman's not it's a real sign clearly that something's not quite right and she should you know see her gynecologist or doctor about it and you know find out why is this happening so that you can deal with those problems now there are some uh, there are some blood tests out there, um, and frankly, some of them are pretty strongly promoted as you know, get an AMH test or get an ultrasound for follicle right. count, whatever. The reality of it is that I think screening for that, by and large, for women in their 20s, is not going to be a very productive exercise. It doesn't, in isolation, really tell you that much. Now, again, if a woman's not having regular cycles, if she has a mother that went through menopause at 34, or if she's very, very short and might have uh, Mosaic-Turner syndrome or something, mm-hmm. this is where I'm saying if you, you have a doctor and you give them a good history and you look at your family history and you look at what's going on physically, you will find ways to do directed tests to look for problems. But there's not going to be one general screening test you say everybody should have this. Now, that gets different, of course, as you get older, right? As you get into right. your 30s and you want to have a baby and a woman's 32 and says, well, I don't want a baby now. I want to wait till I'm 38. And she only has three periods a year and she's normal weight. You might be thinking, and she used to have regular periods. You might think, well, gee, you know, maybe this lady's having earlier loss of her eggs and we should do an AMH and, and a you know, an antral follicle count and see what's going on or do whatever other tests. So again, I think the person taking care of themselves, first of all, and part of that is education and awareness. That's really important. Pay pay attention. I mean, people spend a lot of time looking up fashion and looking up cosmetics and 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 you know looking up social things. Uh, yeah. that's, that's all great, right? But but spend some time looking up about your health. <laughs> so yeah. you, you no, no, no. And then get a, then no, get no, a no doctor, no, doctor no. and work together. And I think that's the best way to, to move forward and make good decisions and talk to your partner right? So that the right. you can make decisions together.
1: Such important advice. And I hope for any of you out there who are listening, who are in your twenties, and I still want you not to have the journey that I had. So please take your health seriously, pay attention. I think things like your periods and your skin and your hair, they're all vital signs. Yeah. So they're, your ways of checking in, you know, in Chinese medicine, they're adamant that your, your period is a, is a life force. They call it a chi. And when it starts to go away, then it's your overall health that's at stake. And I think adopting that principle and understanding that, and also in Chinese medicine, as you probably already know, you know, giving birth is a big deal. Getting pregnant is a big deal. It's not like, oh, I got pregnant. Oh, I had a baby. Right. It's like sacred and important. And the body was supposed to be nourished and protected and, and the woman was supposed to be protected. So we've gotten really far away from some of those concepts that we now know, even in science, hold, hold true. Um, I have a curious question. So like, I have a lot of stressed superwomen. That's probably the best way to say it. So a lot of stressed superwomen that uh, cross my path. Um, is it stress or is it age that is the ultimate infertility block?
2: Oh, it's definitely age. Uh, Age age is number one, two, and three on the list. Okay. And um, it's certainly true that uh, many people with infertility are very, very stressed. Um, The general uh, sense to this is based on the best science we have is that what happens is if a woman, you know, or a man has infertility, they can become very, very stressed. It's also true, of course, if uh, a woman... Becomes very very stressed for other reasons. We know that that can interfere with the menstrual cycle and can mm-hmm. interfere with her ovulation. So if you have a woman who's very very stressed and has irregular menstrual cycles, or she's very thin, or she's very overweight, it definitely could be that these you know other factors are sort of combined. So the stress is sort of part of the whole picture, but it's not generally true that. If you have stress, you're gonna have infertility. The thinking uh, around that, you know, led to comments like have a glass of wine to get pregnant, go to Hawaii, have a vacation to get pregnant. And so that's not true. It's very important to know that's not true. So generally what happens, the infertility or reproductive issues come first and the stress comes second. But there's no question that you can't separate out the physical body And the intellectual body and the emotional body, you know, completely, I mean, they're clearly all, you know, functioning together, but it's not true that stress per se mostly causes infertility. It's true that infertility is almost always very stressful.
1: And what is that age cut off that you are seeing currently? And I know it, it, what it was in my time, but what is the age? You know, like we know, fifty-year-olds who are undergoing IVF here in California. We have so many right. celebrities that we see having babies very late. So, what is that age? And I think, by the way, that that gives you know a woman out there maybe a, a, a artificial sense of uh, security that oh, I can wait till I'm fifty, and I can wait till all this other stuff. So, what is that age realistically? that you would recommend uh, that women really, you know, after that, it becomes very difficult.
2: So I'm I'm gonna simplify your question a tiny bit and make a tiny bit of an approximation just just to make it easy to remember. But basically uh, a woman has normal fertility up to about age 31. So let's just Mm -hmm. call it 30. So up to age 30, doesn't matter if you get pregnant really at 26 or 29. This is a bit of an approximation, but essentially true. But between 31 and 34, fertility goes down about 10%, and it goes down another 8% the next year, or 9% Mm -hmm. and 8%. So the bottom line is at age 34, a woman's fertility is about one-sixth less at age 35 than it was at 30. So it's one-sixth down at 35. And basically, by age 40, it's down by half. Mm. So- one sixth of fertility is lost by age 35, and other two sixths by age 40. And by age 42 or 43, it's down to 10% or lower than that. So there's a huge drop-off um, after age 38. So from about age 39 to, to 41, 42, huge drop-off. And then after age 42, very, very few women get pregnant, you know, on their own. So you certainly hear women do but once we get to women in the 43 44 45 we're looking at live birth rates even with in vitro fertilization and you know the 1% range and wow. one or two it depends on other factors but you know it's something around 1 in 100 which is clearly terrible right i mean it's terrible in terms of a probability right. now we're delighted when it happens that's why most women that age will end up using donor egg if they really want to have a baby and so one of the, the, the really great things about assisted reproductive technologies enabled women to have babies when they're older and if they had, right. you know, ovarian uh, failure where they, where they didn't have eggs they had their always removed for cancer or whatever, they could yeah. still get donor eggs. You can get donor sperm, have a gestational carrier. That's all good. But one of the bad things about it was that people started reading about 51-year-olds having babies. Right. and said, oh, I can have a baby at 51. Well, of course, you know, those women all used... Donor egg. I mean, the oldest woman in the world to have a baby with her own eggs is, you know, reported somewhere to be 56 or 57. Uh, Right. To give you an idea, there's, you know, about 4 million babies born a year in this country. It's a little bit less than that, but about 4 million. And about 1 in 400 are born to women over age 45. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's 1 in 10,000. So it's important to know that. You know, having a baby over 45 almost never, ever, ever happens. And the reality of it is about half of the women at age 40 will really have difficulty getting pregnant with their own eggs and, and in fact, never will get pregnant with their own eggs at age 40. So at, at 35, five out of six are going to get pregnant. And at 40, it's only half. So you can see why that 35 to 40 range is yeah. so important uh, for if you want babies, you definitely don't want to be waiting after 35 and, uh, you know, the best biologic choice. And we understand there are lots of other factors in this. But, you know, by age 30, if you really want children, you should be thinking about how you're going to integrate it into your life.
1: I think that's so important. You know, as, as women, I think, you know, many of us are raised to accomplish, to succeed. Yeah. And it's almost like we weren't raised with, there's a timeline to your fertility. and Some of us almost resent it. Like, what do you mean there's a timeline to my fertility? You know, so, um, but I've sat with so many women who haven't thought about it and, you know, things could have been different for them if they have. And so I think to your point, just like financial health and so many other factors, we have to think all the way through. We have to think long game. And I don't know. I think it just needs a lot more conversation because I think there's certain areas that we never talk about. And we focus on, on specific numbers or accomplishments more so. And then many women and men end up very unhappy you know, down the road. So one more question for you with the pandemic. And we don't know what the economic conditions are going to be like down the road. They don't look great right now. You know, uh, assisted reproductive, you know, endocrinology, all these procedures and things like that are really expensive. And I know I've had patients where their parents have paid for it or they've saved up for years. What does it look like economically for these procedures down the road? And what should couples do if they're in a position where they have maybe lost their job and they're running out of time because the clock is ticking on their age? What is your advice to them?
2: Well, I just, uh, I have to comment about the cost part of it. And uh, we don't have time. We could spend a whole show on this, but uh, I don't think IVF is quote expensive end of quote per se. If you compare it to other medical services or other services in society, it's not, I mean, it's a very intensive high resource service to provide the problem is it's not affordable and it's not affordable because it's not supported by you know insurance and and Mm. society Uh, i am personally very committed as are others to getting better infertility coverage through employers that's very very important and so i would reframe it that it's not that it's expensive because i think there's true value for money and you know who would argue that uh, the cost of a baby in this country through you know, the way they do these calculations is forty or $50,000. So I don't think there are many people that wouldn't argue a baby's worth forty or $50,000. Right. You know, that's right. doing a couple of cycles mm-hmm. of IVF and what have you, you know, approximation. So the, the problem is it's not affordable. And so the first thing is we do need to get better coverage and people should go to their employer and say, you know, right. you don't have coverage. I think we should have coverage. And so we want to really focus on that. The second thing is, There there are certainly programs uh, within the clinics, and our company, Arc Fertility, has programs where we package evidence-based care, and then we can do financing for it. So we can make it affordable, so just like you sometimes borrow money for a college education or a car or a house, you know, we don't think of having to borrow money for health care, but you can borrow money for health care. And, you know, we have unsecured loans. So the thing is to start the plan. So if you're going to You know, have a baby, you should be thinking about money anyway because babies cost money. You have to go to college. So start saving (laughs) your money. Start thinking about that because that's really, really important. Look at your finances. Do you have anything saved? What are your debts? Pay off, you know, high interest uh, debts. Uh, Check your credit score. Make sure it's good. Get that cleaned up. Uh, See if you, you know, some ways you can cut money by not spending maybe on unnecessary things that are nice but not really that important relative to having a family so think about organizing all of your own finances if necessary you know see a financial counselor or expert in that if you need that kind of help so start with your own situation then you know when you get to a clinic or you can certainly go online and and look up areas, uh, places where you can get a loan. And certainly, you know, our company one of them. We've been around since 1997. We've helped tens and tens and tens of thousands of people have their have their families. So we're very, very proud about that. And uh, you know, we have unsecured lending, and so people can get the money for this. But they want to start to plan now because the economics, you know, really are important about it. And And they see their doctor and talk to them about what what the best care is for them so the thing is start now and plan just like you do for other areas in your life and there's a really really high chance that this will all work out well for you
1: i love that and planning seems to be the key and we have covered a lot from money to babies and getting healthy and being holistic and more uh, I want to thank you for taking time out today to educate us thank all you. on the world of infertility and IVF and everything in between. I think it's such an important issue for women and for all of you who are listening out there. Please remember that this is something that probably somebody near you is dealing with and may not even want to talk about. So maybe share this podcast episode with them maybe reach out to them that it is it is a silent struggle for many couples and there's a lot of shame associated with it and there really shouldn't be. So Dr. Adamson, thank you for joining me. If anyone wants to reach out and get more information from you or connect with you, what's the best way for them to do so? Uh,
2: best way you go to uh, www.arcfertility.com and uh, you can reach us through there.
1: Fantastic, and for everybody else, thank you for joining this episode of Superwoman Wellness. If you enjoyed this episode, Please rate and review it and share it with your friends. Remember we're on Spotify as well and I'll see you guys next time. Take care.